You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. You can pair up if you like and you can fucking pick someone else to help you and you can bring your fucking dinner. Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Hello and welcome to Series 9 of Quickly Kevin Will He Score, Episode 1. Welcome back. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. Looking like a young John Hammond from Jurassic Park, it's Michael Marden. Hello. I just tried to imagine what you might look like when you're older. I thought, maybe like John Hammond in Jurassic Park. Nice Is little that hat. Richard Attenborough? Richard Attenborough. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah? I'd, t- I'd take that. I'd take that. Yeah. I think I'm going to go the other way. I think I'm going to be far more... Kalina, Pierre Luigi de Kalina than I am, Richard Hammond. I think I think the softness isn't there in my DNA. Would you go to a uh, an island where they'd used um, the DNA of nineties footballers in amber <laughs> and they'd reanimated they'd them, brought a load of nineties footballers back from extinction, yeah. and, tra- and penned them into electric cages. Then there was a storm, and then they all get out like Colton Palmer's running riot. <laughs> Neil Ruddock in the canteen, you're hiding in the kitchen from Neil Ruddock. Thomas Brolin's there. Yeah. It's the thought of being in the uh being in the car and your water's shaking and it's Neil Ruddock. <laughs> Do you think uh, like in this futuristic world, Michael's walking around with a walking stick with an amber mosquito on it that's got some blood from like Ron Nodes or someone? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to uh well last time we were with you it was a, a strange emotional journey wasn't it the euros but it feels great to be back in the 90s doesn't it yeah like a warm comfort blanket i loved it but yeah welcome back we should say that like i loved the euros and i loved doing those episodes and they're all still available for you uh so do listen to them if you want to relive it I don't think I'm ready yet. Not yet. But I was surprised how quickly I was actually fine with it. 
in the end. I think that'd be nice to just draw a line under it and say, within a week, I didn't really give a shit that we'd lost. I've just swallowed that slab of disappointment and I've not even thought about it for a second since. I've just no. tried to ignore it. It, it. It still hurt. The scars are there. There are a lot of internal wounds, but I'm just trying not to think about it. It's already in my head turned into Euro 96 or World Cup 2018. Yeah. I've, I've managed to nostalgize, nostalgize it already. Michael? <laughs> yeah, same here. And I was as you were saying that, I was trying to work out in my head is nostalgize a word that I was going to say. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you took that bullet. But yes, I've done exactly yeah. that. I'm now, I'm almost in my mind trying to like cement it as a memory, trying to like kind of really like put those moments, like those real emotional highs and lows in a place in my brain that I, I don't forget them because I'm aware yeah. of how little I remember from the time of say Euro 96 and I wish I'd remembered more. It's like they, they always say to people, you know, the advice everyone gives you on the wedding days is just, you know, take it all in, make sure you remember yeah. it. And obviously you don't because you're just in the heat of the moment. So I'm trying to take this summer, this Euro 2020, and kind of like let it cement in the, in the archives of my mind so I, I can draw upon it in my later years. Oh, oh lovely wow. image. What a lovely image to begin Series 9. But I'm so excited to go back to like pure nostalgic 90s. We've already recorded, um, we recorded... In the meantime, last month's Patreon episode, which was about uh, was the Roberto Baggio film, and we've just recorded this month's Patreon episode, which was um, was probably out by now, which it was Nick Hancock's Football Nightmares, and it felt lovely to be back in the '90s saddle, didn't it? Oh, great! Just yeah. The thing about like obsessing over modern football is you don't know what's going to happen with the '90s. Yeah. It's already there. We it's know just, it's done. We've dealt with it. We can just analyse it. Oh, man. It's great to be back. Shall we uh, get straight into the uh, 90s o'clock news? Let's go. From the headquarters of ITN, News at 10, with Chris Scull. Top story, Chris Waddle reveals Italian 90 mullet curse. And how Steve Froggett made his wife. I actually think we might have time for how Steve Froggett made his wife. Let's, let's okay. see. I've um, got some other stuff on Chris Waddle, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. So thank you to Kerry Wilkinson, who pointed this out on Twitter. It's a, a, Chris Waddle's done an interview with Female First. Uh, I think he's... Um, I think he might What's be invited, involved with VO5. That... I, think, I think Chris Waddle is doing some oh, right. brand ambassador work for VO5. And he was interviewed about his famous mullet. Um, he was speaking to he was speaking at a VO5 event when he said this. So he said that um, he thinks his decision to remove the mullet may have been the reason he missed the penalty against West Germany in the Italian Italian. Oh, 90s. really? Because people, he says, people thought when I had the mullet done, it was a fashion statement. It wasn't. It was down to superstition. When I had short hair, I started playing and I was getting injured a lot. As I let it grow out, the injury stayed away from me. So in my head. I put the haircut down as the reason why my luck had turned. It might have had nothing to do with that, of course, but that's what I believed. Then the mullet grows and grows and grows, Waddle having a great time, staying injury-free. But then he says, just before the semi-finals of the World Cup in Italy, a newspaper offered him 10 grand to cut the mullet off for charity. So he did it and he said, I went on to miss the penalty and I've always put it down to having the haircut. It's something I've always thought about. 
it's funny how people always talk about that haircut years later. My, my, Any time someone has a, hair, a haircut that people think looks like a mullet, my haircut gets thrown into the mix. You have to smile. Oh, but there wow. you go. Chris Waddle is saying the haircut was the reason why he missed so what was it a weighted thing do you think in the sense it's of... luck it was it was right it so had it's not that he'd been growing it and having a great time he took the charity money cut it off and that's when things started going wrong if he's lent back too much in hitting the ball over the bar has the has the mullet affected his balance do you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean is that is there it's... a situation where he's too used to kind of getting over the ball with the mullet or he's too aerodynamic now yeah. He's actually so lighter that he's just... It's, it's quite discombobulated. I don't know if you've ever had like really long hair and had a haircut. It is quite disc, discombobulating for a period. When, yes. When balance is so critical, especially taking a penalty, it's not going to help, is it? No. I did like Chris Waddle a lot. But um, recently someone directed me to read his likes on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done this? No. No. Always a dangerous thing to do. It's it's very dangerous. Uh, it's, if you like Chris Waddle, I'm, obviously this isn't a place to get into politics, but um, let's put it this way. There's tweets about uh, illegal immigrants who are on their way to Dover. There's one from an account called Migration Watch. It's, it's, it's a tough read. Let's put it that Let, way. Let's just, let's just say on Chris Waddle, he's likely to be sharing stuff with Schultz that they both agree on. Yeah, I, I'd say that Peter Shilton and Chris Waddle Certainly, uh, were, were, I'd say, if anything, Waddle would consider Peter Shilton a bit of a, a lefty liberal. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, Chris Waddle played for Marseille, for God's sake. Anyway, let's, <laughs> let's move on. Do you know what? Shall we, to cleanse the palate, shall we start the series by finding out how Steve Froggott met his wife? I think we should do it. I think it's time to find okay, out. We've left with... with Left some time to get into this. Thank you to everyone who's texted me or met me in real life and asked me how Steve Froggett met his wife. And thank you for people pig, pigging Steve Froggett to ask him how he's met his wife. He's, he's, he's offered up numerous tweets on his Twitter explaining how he met his wife. But the story is actually quite good. We've had it in the locker for so long. I can't even remember who first sent this in to us. But this is how Steve Froggett met his wife, Julie. Okay. I want you to cast him out of my back. I'm out of picture of the scene. Julie Froggett. Imagine, picture the scene, right? Early 90s, it's the Miss Aston Villa competition. Oh, yes, please. That's 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 a, that's a story that pays off after all this time, I'd say. Let's see where this is going. Out comes our judges. Among them, Steve Froggart. Oh he sits down. Oh, he, my God. He looks at the women one after the other. Oh, he no. finally sits, sets eyes on his wife, Julie. Where does he put her? She's not his wife, Julie, at that point. It's, right, she... yeah, he's just met her. <laughs> Puts her in third. <laughs> oh my god how do you explain that one away wow Uh, i just just got to check it she didn't even get on the podium she was fourth oh no oh no julie froggy says he was going to go on a night out with graham fenton afterwards (laughs) of course he was but but then the girls come up one by one it turns out that, that steve frogger had voted for julie but she didn't win. So Steve Froggart wanted her to win, but she didn't. Oh, okay. They went on a he night out anyway. No, absolutely not. That He is rewriting history there. Has Steve Froggart... Is that the first... Um, is that the first historical record of someone negging? Is that how... <laughs> did Steve Froggart invent the game? <laughs> Neil Strauss is actually a really big Aston Villa fan. 
he was there. He was there that day. You know, like the, the famous uh, Velvet Underground gigs. It's like not many yeah. people were there, but everyone was that was at the Aston Villa uh, competition went on to become a famous misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> there oh, you go. It was worth it in the end. How um, Steve Froggett met his wife. Can I introduce one new feature? Yeah. This is a new feature I would like to bring to the table. Now, on our recent Patreon special, we did uh, we did a watch along of the Divine Ponytail about Roberta Baggio, and I said in the course of that watch along that I didn't really. I didn't really get Roberto Baggio. I didn't think he was that good. I'd seen him at Italian uh, uh, USA '94. I didn't think he shined. I knew there was a lot of buzz about him. I'd seen him. I'd seen oh, him a buzz. bit on, you know, goal at football Italia. I was like, this guy's all right. I don't really get it. So I was surprised at the Divine Bone Tale to hear how much Italians loved him. And I didn't think generally he was that good. I didn't. I don't understand it. I don't understand why he was so brilliant. The deluge of tweets and and negative comments I've had for this opinion has been astounding. And like any outspoken uh, sporting commentator, rather than apologise for my opinions, I'm going to double down on them. Like so here's the a new feature. Chris Waddle follows on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> here's my new feature. It's called Roberta Baggio was shit. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> please provide a sting for this. Roberta Baggio, the saviour of Italy throughout this tournament. Okay, so each week I'm going to be bringing you a different fact that will prove Roberto Baggio was shit. And if you want to join in, you're more than welcome. Send in your... Michael, I think Peter Schmeichel's out the woods. (laughs) Hello at quicklykevin.com. Here's my fact this week. Okay, who won the Blonde Ore in 1993? Roberto Baggio. How many goals did he score for Juventus? He scored 21. Meanwhile, in the championship in England, Guy Whittingham scored 42 for Portsmouth. (laughs) (laughs) Not even in the top three for the Blonde Or. Exhibit A, Roberto Baggio was shit. More next week. Is there a right to reply? Is there a defence? No. (laughs) (laughs) Guy Whittingham scored twice as many goals as Roberto Baggio. He used to be in the army, didn't he, Guy Whittingham? That was the big fact about him. Um, but Baggio wasn't. Uh, do you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not getting. <laughs> not doing it again. Wasted too much time defending Peter Schmeichel. I'm not doing it for Baggio. Shall we go into the correspondence? Let's go. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. So uh, it'd be nice to. I thought it'd be nice to kind of catch up on the correspondence um, before we start the new series. Um, Obviously, first up, we should talk about regens, shouldn't we? We were discussing our championship manager regens. Do you want to briefly explain championship manager regens, Michael? Yeah, so essentially it was on uh, older versions of the game where the database was fairly limited. When a player, especially a high-profile player, would retire from the game, their stats would be recycled and turned into a new player with a slightly different name. But he would inherit all of his stats. So you would get these young players with funny names who were clearly... Paul Gascoigne, David Platt, Roberto Baggio. So here are some that uh, people have said are real-life regions. Uh, thanks to Richard Scott for this, who's the first person who's ever sent me an email that is uh, centrally aligned. An astonishing oh, wow. decision, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think that's deliberate um, or is that an accident? I, I think it's an accident because lads, comma, is left aligned and then the rest of the email is centrally aligned. <laughs> 
It's a. Do you know what? I'll screen grab it and we'll put it on our Instagram yeah. without his email address because it's it's lovely to see. It's a breath of fresh air. It really is. Anyway, he writes. I spent twenty minutes. Uh, in my own, do I remember this right? Think your email was show at quicklykevin.com. Anyway, I'm rambling. I write because the perfect real life champ manager regen is Andy Carroll, a regen of Sir Leslie Ferdinand. <laughs> <laughs> Retiring in 2006, Les passed on his specialist jumping and heading 20 skill ratings onto Andy, whose fledgling tune career perfectly dovetailed with the following season. Buying that, Michael? Yeah, that's that's nice. I'll take that one. This is from Matt Bryant, uh, another region. Uh, Thanks for all the content during the Euros. The recordings of your reactions to the game were brilliant and mirrored exactly how my friends and I were reacting in the pub. On the subject of regens, we got this from quite a few people. Uh, So uh, thank you to everyone that wrote in. Liverpool's pre-season game against uh, FC Wacker Innsbruck. This is how everyone found out about this player. They had a player, uh, one word, called Ronnie Valdo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, which Matt writes surely is a combined uh, Ronaldo and Rivaldo, but I uh, held them to a one-one draw. So uh, Ronnie Valdo is a regen there. Now the ultimate: if you could change one result, if you could go back in time and change one result from the nineties, there is only one possible choice. I would change the result of the investigation that uncovered that George Graham had been paid a bung by a Norwegian agent leading to his sacking in 1995. In my alternate timeline, Graham would be found innocent. This is David Hayter that writes this. Why, I hear you ask. So this isn't for a club, this is for everyone. Because if Graham had never been sacked at Arsenal, he continues his reign of solid competence, sporadic achievement, and Arsenal never decide to bring in Arsene Wenger. The continental manager who banishes drinking and gambling culture at Arsenal, introduces modern athletic coaching standards into the Premier League and sets a template for modern, deadly spirit, serious sport as business professionalism that effectively kills the 90s booze and banter vision of football. Without Wenger, who would have been that modernising influence? Surely not Tottenham's parade of flops who had discredited European training methods. So, if Arsenal never arrives... The 90s would have lasted a little bit longer. And isn't that what we all want? Thoughts? I mean, I like it as an idea, but I think think there's more good than bad that comes from Arsene Wenger's influence and his place in the game. You know, I don't know that I want to watch that version of the 90s for another five or (laughs) ten years. I I, I love that the sort of arc of change is is there towards the end of the decade. Otherwise, I think we're still watching... Those slightly overweight players bumble around shit pitches, picking up injuries. Like um, that, the, that, the game wouldn't be where it is today. They were, you know, it would be yeah. Spanish football or German football or someone that would be, it would be where English football is. And then the knock-on effect, I would argue, for the international team as a result, oh, we might yeah. have recorded a very different version of our Euro specials. So I'm, I'm, well, I'm also, not going to change our podcast wouldn't be as exciting because because the 90s wouldn't be as good a period. Yeah. It wouldn't be as yeah. self-contained a period. It's that transitional period, isn't it? That's why we love it. The 90s, like the early 90s football is so different to the late 90s Wenger era. And I think that's what's really interesting. And all that money yeah. pumping in and the, the, the change, that's what makes it such an interesting period of time. It would be like if we just made an 80s pop football podcast. Yeah. Yes. By the late 80s. Here's another like, oh, episode God. on hooliganism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is astonishing that we haven't covered this. This is from Paddy Donlon. Hi, guys. Uh, apologies if you already covered this story. 
we haven't. But uh, I read an article recently about players who could have qualified to play for Ireland. Turns out, Big Jack tried to recruit Steve Bruce for Ireland before the World Cup in 1994. Oh, wow. But Alex Ferguson quashed the idea as it would have made Steve Bruce a foreign player, thus taking up a space in United's international quota. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I love that. Because that was such a big deal. As a United fan, those Champions League games oh, where you, yeah. you could only fit in, like there was Kanchelskis, Cantonash, Michael, all of that. You're like, oh, fuck, who do we who do we drop here? Who do we leave? Yeah. Did that count for Irish players? I, I think there was like this kind of... Yeah, because Dennis Irwin used to get involved in those chats, didn't he? Yeah. Like Dennis yeah. Irwin would be one of them. So wow. it was Roy Keane, Dennis Irwin, Schmeichel, Cantona. It's kind of weird, isn't it, that like that was a... A strange thing in European football in the early night. Was it Bosman that got rid of that? It, no, I don't think it was Bosman. I think they just recognised that it was damaging the competition overall. And they had eyes on that being the sort of premier club competition. The only way to do it is to have the best teams play their best players. That alternative dimension must be quite close to ours because if you like blink and try and imagine it, I can see Steve Bruce sweating. Yeah, in, in New oh, Jersey yeah. against Italian, I could see like he's got the suntan lotion on. It's red on the face, the, the breath, sweat. Do you think he'd have got in the team? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think he would have. I would. Do you know what? I would love to have seen that. I can really see him in that white uh, away shirt with the opal sponsor over the yeah. front. Now, when Chris was describing that, then my mind has tricked me that he played. Do, yeah. do you think that Steve Bruce regrets that decision? Like, if he looks back and goes, oh, I could have played well, in the World Cup. How long did he extend his Man U career? Because 1994 feels like it's towards the end of his Man U career, is it? So is it worth it? He could have played in a World Cup. Yeah. God. And then by that point, you know you're not, you know, England aren't coming in for you at 33, 34. Like, that, that time is gone. Yeah. Yeah. What we will do, we'll definitely, I'm going to knock up a Photoshop of Steve Bruce from that time playing for Ireland. And we're going to put it on our Instagram the day before this episode goes out as if it's a real photo. <laughs> and just say, uh, and, and just put it on as a classic uh, image of Steve Bruce and see what the uh, see what the captions are. And we'll, we'll cover that in next week's episode. Yeah, he played for Man U until 1996. So was it worth it? He got two more years. At, would you take two more years at Man U, who you've already won the league with, or would you have taken the World Cup with Ireland? Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? Because there's a double in there. So you you would have pissed Fergie off and he would have shipped you out fairly quickly had you gone against that. You're also club captain, so it's it's difficult. I can see why he said no for the sake of, you know, one tournament. But decades later, does that haunt him, the fact that he never got to play a major tournament as an international player? I think it would I think it would me. Yeah. He he would have he didn't win anything the following season because man, you lost the title to Blackburn in the FA Cup final, but he did win the double the season after when they beat Newcastle and Liverpool in the Cup final, though he didn't play in the Cup final as he was injured. There we go. It's a, it's a lovely uh, it's a lovely different world. Just before we divert too far away from this kind of early 90s United squad, you know um, that charlatan Roberto Baggio when he won Ballon d'Or? Do you know, do you know who is... There's a Man United player in the top three. So it was the top three in, the, in 1993 when he won, yeah, when he won, when he won the wrongfully run the Blonde Or. Oh, that's a great yeah. question. There's actually one, two, three. There's three 
Manchester United players who were nominated for the Blonde Ore that year. Okay. And there's one Aston Villa. Schmeichel. Oh, I tell you what, Schmeichel. Because would that... Denmark in 92. Would, it, would Denmark yeah. at Euro 92 have come under that? Yeah, I think it would be the same remit, yeah. Uh, who else? Schmeichel? Yeah, it's got to be Cantona. Cantona's in the top three. He came in at 33. Possibly Giggs? Giggs was yeah. joint ninth with Stefan Chapuzat. Give uh, us the top ten. So, so we can enjoy it. Baggio won. And then second, Burkamp, Cantona, Boxic, Laudrup, Baresi, Maldini. Oh, sorry, stop you. So who's Burkamp playing for there? Ajax? International. Inter. But wasn't he rubbish there? Maybe yeah. he just moved It's almost like it was a bad year for football. And they just gave <laughs> it to anyone. Who even won the... Who, without looking, who won the European Cup in 1993? Is it Dortmund? Oh, no, 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 Dortmund later. was 97. 93, so it was... Barcelona. Is it Barcelona or 92? Like Barcelona or 92, aren't they? Was it Red Star Belgrade? Do you remember the year they won it? It was won by Marseille. Their first Marseille. Title. Also nominated in the Blonde Hall, Paul McGrath. No. Aston Villa. Interesting. What? Yeah. To be fair, and he got one vote in the nominations, but nevertheless, he's there. <laughs> weird football grounds from Gareth Lewis. Hi, Josh, Michael and Skull. On the subject of weird football grounds, did you know there are houses directly next to the turnstile at Kenneth Wor- Kenilworth Road? Please see the pictures I've sent below. Has to be seen to fully understand how bizarre this is. I've been to Kenilworth Road and I have I have experienced this and it is absolutely brilliant. Loved it. So this first picture I'm sending you, this gives you an idea of quite how hemmed in it is by the houses around it, Kenilworth Road. But that doesn't do justice wow. to how you get in to the oak stand. There you go. Look at that. That is brilliant, isn't it? Describe what you can see there. It's just, it's a row of terraced houses, but like two houses, two of these terraced houses, the downstairs is just a turnstile. Yeah, they've replaced, they bought two terrace houses and turned it into turnstiles. So what's on the upstairs of the, the downstairs is just turnstile. So what's the upstairs? Do people live in that? Yeah. There must be Luton fans that know. Do people live above the turn? Imagine living next door. There's literally a door that is... A yard from a turnstile. Imagine what that's like on match day. You'd have to be a Luton fan, wouldn't you? That's crazy. So your garden is right right up against the stand, I presume. Yeah, I so you I've see that this. first picture I yeah. sent you. God. You can see the bottom in the bottom right corner of that first picture, you can see the turnstiles. So from what I remember, you go through the house, you go through the turnstiles, this is to get into the away stand. Because I've been through these turnstiles. And then you walk through a kind of what would be the backyard, which is the bit, you know, like the dead area between the turnstiles and the stand that's normally like at grounds. That's that's where the back garden would be. And then you walk into the stand. That's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, there's actually in that big, that wide angle, there's two of them. So there's another two houses, like a little, so I'd say four houses down. That's obviously yeah. the other, the second part of the stand. That's mad. I mean, you can't really complain. You'd imagine the stadium has been there for as long, if not longer, than those houses. So if you're buying or moving in, you're like, well, this is part of the deal. Imagine you've lived in that house and then suddenly the the football club buys up the one next to you and just goes, oh, yeah, by the way, we're turning into a a turnstile and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. (laughs) (laughs) Look at the side as well. There's houses on the 
on the other, the, the nearest side, the bottom left corner, there's houses that are just like squeezed up against the stand. They're, they're, they're butted up the against the stand. Yeah. Also, halfway up the stand, there's a massive oak tree that is like, again, right next to it. Yeah. What is this ground? It's crazy. It's brilliant. It? We should go to Kenilworth Road. I'm up it's for great. That. Yeah, I'd love a trip to Kenilworth Road. Um, so, uh, very simple. This question, the email is called, can you remember who played right back against Germany in 1996? Well, John Bounds writes, I thought this was going to be a do I remember this right, but it's more a, I don't remember this at all, but it did happen because I just looked it up. I was reading Jonathan Wilson's excellent Anatomy of England, uh, which have reports and cultural importance of 10 England games over the years. There's a Graham Taylor defeat and a Euro 96 win. The focus is on the 4-1 beating of Holland, but there is, of course, a mention of the Germany game. And almost on passing, it tells us that David Platt played right back. Wow. The right right wing back, wing back though, surely. They're not, he's not playing right back in a four. No, yeah, I suppose. Gary Neville suspended, and that's the decision Terry Venables made. Phil Neville was in the squad and on the bench, as was Sol Campbell. Steve Howe was also in the squad, but Platt was the choice. I don't remember it being mentioned at the time. I've no remember of Platt in the game at all, apart from his penalty in the shootout. He adds, is this where Gareth Southgate's obsession with having enough right-backs in the squad originated? (laughs) Isn't that weird? God. The more we find out about that game... Remember, that's the game where Terry Venables made no substitutions. But you're putting Phil Neville there, surely. Otherwise, what's the point in bringing him? Well, 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 there you go. Okay, I think we should end uh, catching up on the uh, correspondence with a... uh, an email about the Euros from Annabelle Mander. Dear Quickly Kevin Lads, I've been a listener uh, to the pod since day one, although not a patron yet. Thought yet. That's the key word, yet. Do sign up if you want to hear us talk about Nick Hancock's football nightmares. Who wouldn't? I thought I'd share my appreciation during a time of desperation. The story starts when Harry Kane scored for England. Rather boozed up, I booked two flights to see England in Rome. That would be England versus Ukraine in Rome, the quarterfinal. God, it feels... What a great time. I only realised this the next day when an Italian friend sent me a voice note uh, with bar and restaurant recommendations in Rome. The second ticket was for an equally intoxicated mate, forgetting the fact he couldn't fly due to a recent operation. I convinced two more people to join me on the trip there from Dubai to Rome. So she's based in Dubai, so it's fine. Friday morning comes... In a rush to get out of my airport taxi, I left my phone in the taxi. Frantically running around Dubai airport trying to locate people that may have my friend's contact details, I eventually bump into a girl I work with. She lends me her phone to attempt to sort out tickets, locate friends and other admin. Things appear back on track till we land and I receive a positive COVID test on arrival. They whisk me off to a room where they make me do another one which is also positive. Two Italians in hazmat suits then take me away for a further test. I'm then taken to a hospital on the outskirts of Rome, where I am to isolate for 10 days. My situation now involves watching Italian TV, which I don't understand, and having to use someone else's phone for WhatsApp and podcasts. I'm unable to access anything else. So this leads me to my appreciation for being able to go through the Quickly Kevin back catalogue again. As much as I'd rather be in the Stadio Olimpico, at least got to relive 90s footballs. So I guess this is my world until the Euros is over. 
if this is a sacrifice I have to make to see England finally win the trophy, oh dear. It's absolutely worth it. What do you think about that? Oh, what a, a trip to go and see England in Italy then means that you are isolated in an Italian hospital for 10 days during the quarters, semi-final and final of Euro 2020. Oh, God. <laughs> Isn't oh, that just that's hard? That's hard work. That is hard work. Yeah, it's not worth it. What is the worst trip you've ever been on to go and see a football match where it's gone wrong? If you can beat that. I said it was Annabelle Manda. It's Simon Collingwood because, of course, the email address is from the work colleague's phone that he's borrowed. Um, So that's caught us up more or less on correspondence uh, and it makes us ready for our new series. We've got some absolutely brilliant guests. We've already recorded a few, which we are very excited to put out. Um, If you're listening, the whole series will be available uh, through the usual channels. There is also, for Patreon members, there is a 15 minutes extra each week and it's available Friday rather than Monday. Obviously, the Friday before. It's not available later. It's available 72 hours earlier. So if you want to sign up to that on the XJ8 level, go to patreon.com forward slash Quickly Kevin. There's also tons of bonus episodes, all the old Euros episodes, etc., etc., etc. Also, if you do like the 90s, which uh, I think you do if you're listening to this podcast, can I plug that I've got a book coming out, which I've written about the 90s. It's called Watching Neighbours Twice a Day, and it uh, tells the history of growing up in the middle of nowhere in the 90s um, through the different television shows I watch. I thought the best way I could plug this is if you choose a letter, uh, Chris, Yeah, and I'll read you uh, the names in the index under that letter. Okay. Well, you're going surnames or first names? They're done under surnames. Okay. B. Okay. Badil David. <laughs> Badger Girl, Ball <laughs> Zoe, Banky Moon. That's a joke <laughs> reference. He's not actually talked about. It's a reference into something else. Bateman, Nick, in brackets, Nasty Nick, close brackets. BBC News, Beatles About, Big Break, Big Breakfast, Big Brother, Blair Tony, Blue Peter, Breakfast Broadcasting, Brit Awards, Brit Pop, Broom Cupboard, Budget, and Burke Michael. <laughs> the one that excites me most out of all that, Beatles About. I want more Beatles about content in my life. You reading that out is what I imagine, you know, in like a sort of Michel Gondry music video, if someone's gone into your mind and your mind is actually like a big library with those old indexing cards. <laughs> that's what they've got. They just flicked through and pulled it out. And that's sort of the synapses of your brain. Well, if anyone wants a book that contains those references, and if, and if ever there's a podcast that wants for people who are going to think that that's good rather than shit... It's called Watching Neighbours Twice a Day, and it's available for pre-order now. Now, Michael, quiz to end? Yep, as is tradition, the end of episode quiz, uh, the return of Starting Eleven, the old favourite, and uh, in tribute to someone we talked about on this show, uh, I've chosen the 1993 Champions League final, oh, Marseille versus AC Milan. Here oh, bloody go. I am losing this. It's a tough one, this. I mean, to give you a, to give you a clue, I'd say... Uh, AC Milan in particular is filled with a kind of who's who of famous yeah. Italian footballers yeah. uh, of the time. And then yeah. I think you'd be surprised how many big names that uh, were playing for that, especially French players, were playing for that. Yeah, I think Marseille I could do quite a lot of that Marseille team. 
Okay, so if uh, you name a sub who comes on, you guess again. If you name an unused sub, you lose a life. Two lives each. And uh, we'll start with you, Chris. So, uh, Paolo Maldini. Oh, God. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't... I wouldn't be confident which side he was playing for, but Marcel Desailly would have been playing for one of these teams. Uh, He was indeed. He was playing for Marseille at the time. Right, right. Um, Didier Deschamps lifted the trophy. Yeah. Oh my god! Correct. Goodness. Oh good. I think the French team would have had Papin. Jean-Pierre Papin came on as a sub. Came on as a sub, but for AC Milan. Yeah, AC Milan. Oh wow, wow! That was actually the probably my last one in my head. Wow, that's okay. So, uh, so I'm going to stick with Marseille. Uh, Abdili Pele. Very nice. Yes, he did. So I've got, I've pretty much got two left. I've got a feeling Frank LeBeouf played for Marseille, but I'm not confident at all. And the other one would be Marco Van Basten. So I'm going to go with Marco Van Basten. Marco Van Basten did indeed play. And a uh, little footnote with that: he came off uh, in the came off in the 86 minute. And it was the last ever game he played. Really? Oh, wow. He, he retired two years later because he couldn't get over the ankle injury. No way. Um, Franco Baresi. Correct. I've got to go for it, haven't I? Frank LaBeouf. This is a gamble. Incorrect. Ah. Wow. Um, I'm going to go with um, Carlo Ancelotti have been playing for AC Milan. Incorrect. Ah. Oh. So one life left each. Chris to pick. I'm going to go Rude Hullet. He'll be knocking about AC Milan around then. He's probably too old. He's too old. Incorrect. Josh for the win. Oh, what? I'm going to go with... Oh my God, I've just I, thought of one. I'm going to go with Marco Simone. Incorrect. Oh no. Skull? Basil Bolly. He hasn't come up, has he? Oh. He hasn't come up. Unfortunately, you're already out, so it's going to go. Uh, no, we both <laughs> lost. We both lost, haven't we? Yeah, you, well, you so both have, skull you, back in. No, no, we're going to we're going to do a tiebreaker. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is uh, Bazzaboli did indeed play. He scored yeah. the only goal of the game. Did he? Yeah. One nil win. I want you both to tell me closest wins in what minute of the match did he score oh. that goal? Sixty fourth. Sixty fourth. Josh has said. Chris. Thirty. The correct answer was the 43rd minute. So, Chris wins. I'll run you through those teams. Uh, Marseille, in goals, Fabian Barthez. Oh, Uh, wow. Right back, Jocelyn Angloma. Uh, Left back, Eric Domeco. Sweeper, Basil Bolli. Two centre-backs were Marcel Desailly and Jean-Jacques Edili. Never heard of him. Two centre-forwards... Uh, no, sorry, right midfield, Abide Pele, uh, left midfield, Didier Deschamps, and two centre-forwards, Alan Botsic and Rudy Voller. Rudy uh, Voller? Wow. I almost said Rudy Voller, but I thought he left. That is a great team. Good team, isn't it? It's a it's really, really great strong team. team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, and then AC Milan, in goal, had Sebastiano Rossi, and then Mauro Tassotti, Palamadini, Dimitri Albertini, uh, Costa Curta, Baresi, Gianluigi Lentini, Frank Reichard, Marco Van Basten, Roberto Donadoni, and uh, Daniel Massaro. That's a two good team, isn't Brilliant. it? Brilliant. 
brilliant. They're really what good time. teams. Roberto Baggio couldn't get near that either of them. Oh, but... right. Let's go. It's been a pleasure. This, hold on, just quickly, this will blow your mind. Sub goalkeeper for AC Milan. Anyone guess? Rossi? Probably Donnarumma. He's been around forever. <laughs> Carlo Cudicini. No. Yeah, he must have been. Win the bench everywhere he goes. Yeah. No way. Uh, 93. Yeah, it's mad. Uh, Chris, would you like to pick a song to end the episode? Well, look, we're picking up from a fantastic summer of football and European sport. So uh, in honour of Marseille winning the Champions League, please could I have the French national anthem? Lovely. It's a good one. We'll be back next week with genuinely one of our greatest ever episodes. Phil Thompson. Yes. So good. Big Loved Phil him. is going to be here on Quickly Kevin. Do look forward to that. It is genuinely one of our best ever episodes. And that's Skull saying it, not me. And that's, yeah, so you know it's true. We'll see you next week. Until then, Robbie Slater. See you later.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.